This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. We are regular people on a quest to discover the treasures in God's Word. My name is Matt, and with me today, I'm going to mix it up. We'll start with Eric. Hey, morning. And we have Karen. Good morning. Kind of. Okay. The sun's almost up. And we have Tracy. Good morning. So we are continuing this week in the book of Job, um, and we are going to be working on verses, I'm sorry, chapters 25 through 37. Um, just a little quick recap of the book of Job. You had uh, this interesting convocation between God and uh, what they call them, the sons of God, who all got together, and Satan showed up and said, hey, I'm here to represent earth, and it's mine, and... Uh, I have a right to be here. And God said, well, hey, what about Job? And so they started this uh, interesting... Bet. Bet. That's a good word for it. Um, test is maybe more appropriate. Yeah, test, yeah, okay. yeah. All right. I don't know if anybody won 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if there were any uh, odds on it. Job lost a lot of money. Yeah. But so this interesting <laughs> test uh, to see how Job was going to react if um, everything wasn't going his way anymore. And uh, he lost his children, he lost his wealth, um, lost his health, um, and uh, he wasn't feeling very good about it. So his friends showed up, hung out with him for a little while, and then they started accusing him of kind of being a rotten person. And that conversation, just as it progressed, it just kind of kept going south to the point where last week they were practically just throwing names at each other. You know, not maybe not literally, but that's just the way it felt. Where, and sometimes Job's friends were like, "You are just a terrible, awful person, and you you oppress the widows and and beat the children and you know kick the puppies." You know? The banter back and forth. And and Job wasn't feeling any more kindly towards them either. No. Oh, yeah. I suppose you guys have all the wisdom. Yeah. So that's where we pick up this week with. Um, one of Job's other friends. I don't know if they're still friends after all this. I don't know. <laughs> Determined but, but uh Job's friend Bildad, this is uh, his turn to speak up in uh, chapter 25. And it's a really, really short chapter. I just have to add this in. My Bible yeah. goes, and they continue their discourse. <laughs> <laughs> Which has probably been the, the theme quite a while now for at least the last, what, yeah. six, eight um, verses or chapters, so, so they my, continued the discourse. Right. So I've got a parallel, and most of them say, replied, replied, answered, and then you get to the message, and the message says, Bildad the Shuhite again attacked Job. Cold. <laughs> and off we go. Yeah. I mean, Let's the, get started. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing almost turned into like a big old social media um, argument here where it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, have you thought about this? Well, yeah about this you know it's just this back and forth and back and forth and um just no, just nobody really listening to anybody at least they didn't have to text it and post it yeah <laughs> but so bildad comes in and he has his little um mm, six verses here so the entire chapter 25 and similar to the other people's rants if you listen to it in isolation mm -hmm. it has a ring of truth to it it does i mean i i my paraphrase of the entire six verses here is god is supreme and how can man compare to him exactly you know how can you argue with that you really you really can't so yeah taken by itself in isolation sounds sounds good uh, the problem here is that it, the guys 
they just really haven't been they haven't been really listening to Job so much, or they're misinterpreting him, or they just don't like the idea that he wants to talk to God. I don't know. Well, he doesn't go back. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think we're going to see a turn in the corner here in our between 25 and 37, mm-hmm. especially when uh, Elihu starts speaking. Yeah. Is they are addressing Job and saying, This is about you, Job, and how good or bad you are, and God is good. Elihu doesn't spend a lot of time talking about Job. Right. And he pretty much focuses just on God. And one of the phrases that shows up here in, in uh, 25, which is in verse 4, how then can man be right before God? Uh, how can he who is born of woman be pure? That's that's not that different than Elihu gets into. Uh, but Elihu, instead of focusing on man so much, is focusing on God. Mm-hmm. So Job, he's answering Bildad, and um, the way I read these first four verses in 26 is kind of Job saying, how has anything you guys been saying helping anybody? You know, he talks about, um, I mean, the verse 2, how have you helped him who is without power? How have you saved the arm that has no strength? So all these arguments they've been talking to, and Job is just like, this is... What are you? What are you doing? What are you? How are you helping You're me? You're wasting at all? my time. You're wasting my time. Yeah, I'm. I'm clearly suffering. I don't want to really want to talk to you guys. I want to talk to God, and uh, you guys aren't really helping much. How have you counseled the one who has no wisdom? Yeah, and that's in halfway through verse three, he gets a little bit snarky sounding. And what great insight you have displayed! <laughs> who has? And, and this is pretty pointy. Who has helped you utter these words, and whose spirit spoke from your mouth? Hey, ouch, Job. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes on, and he's kind of, he's going like, he he's agreeing with the parts that are agreeable in the, in the arguments, where he's kind of saying, God is infinitely power, and he has this miraculous science. I don't know if science would have been a word they would have had at the time, but they're, he's just like, look at all this stuff around us and everything God has done is amazing um and of everything that we have seen that he can do this is just a little tiny piece of god's ability Mm -hmm. but isn't that the humanistic part though you look at the calamities that fell job and you look at number one now he's just he's not feeling good he's lost everything he's not feeling good his body's tormented he wants something he wants an extra pearl of wisdom and he's not getting it from his friends. Yeah. He's well, like, you're telling me everything I know, but you're not helping my situation. Yeah. In 27, he he kind of, well, 27 and onward, because he goes on for a bit. But at the beginning of 27 is really the summary of it. He says, as long as I have life within me, my lips will not say anything wicked and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit to you that you are in the right until I deny until I die, I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. Like, he's still, this is still the karmic approach. Like, what did I do to deserve mm-hmm. this? Mm-hmm. And since I know for a fact that I didn't do anything to deserve this, why is it happening? The outrage of the righteous, right? Yeah, it's, inter- it's interesting to me that we would have this entire book in the Bible where it's 
it's really kind of a lot of bad theology thrown out here. All this prosperity, you know, if you do good, God's going to do good by you. If you do bad, God's going to punish you. Um, but yeah, well, but it's 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 a clearly it's been a universal subject. And I think the reason, as I'm reading through it again and again, uh, the reason that maybe this was put in here in the Bible and perhaps early on was to dispel this. Mm-hmm. That was the idea. Because as, as Elihu gets going here, and as we discover later uh, next week as God speaks, this is the crux of, of um, this is the line where Elihu gets on Job. And Job says here in 27.2, As God lives, who has taken away my right? Mm. And as we get into it, Elihu is basically saying, and you're going to accuse God? Yeah. So you've, what, what you've done, Job, is you've said, you're in the right and God is in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Because you're accusing God of taking away your rights, of being unjust. Mm-hmm. And you want him to speak to you, not, not to comfort you per se, but to basically explain himself as to why he's done you wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's a bit of a different thing. And it has to be kind of sussed out from, from all of Job's um, complaints and, and suffering and so on, which are legitimate and he asks the Job asks a lot of questions, you know, why is this happening? And as we all do. But in that question, he's also making an accusation that why did this happen? You're doing me wrong. Mm-hmm. See, instead of if if one of you had 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 in my my perception done me wrong, there's a difference between me saying, Hey, what happened? Mm-hmm. And how come you did wrong to me? Mm-hmm. There's, there's a pretty assumption s- of placement. There. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's an assumption that somehow I'm right and you're wrong, mm-hmm. even though I don't know the facts yet. Mm-hmm. And that is, to me, about the only thing that makes sense of Elihu's arguments as we move forward and God's response. Because God doesn't answer the accusation. Mm-hmm. Um, he speaks up and says, I'm God. We're getting ahead there, spoiler alert, but... It's this is the thing that is easy to miss in Job's complaint, which does not mean that everything Job says or everything Job asks or everything Job is wrong. It's not to say that. Right. But that is the element right there. That's the crux. That's the hard move that Elihu goes straight to it. And he says, Hey, are you other you guys, you didn't even answer this one. Mm-hmm. You're just talking about you must have done wrong, Job, blah, blah, blah. You must have sinned. You must have cheated somebody. You must have moved, you know, property markers. You must have done all these other things. And Elihu, as we get into this, is basically saying, No, your problem is that you think you're right. Yeah. Thereby the assumption God is wrong. And that's your problem. It's interesting. But, I was just look, reading in a commentary last night, and I'm just getting into the introduction, but basically the writer, the the author, he says, whenever I, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember exactly, but basically when I find myself disagreeing with the Bible, (laughs) I assume the Bible is right and I am wrong. Yeah. And that's a, 
that's a safer way and maybe to say, what am I not understanding here? Mm-hmm. Um, because I have had a conversation with somebody and I said, well, you know, your, your point here, basically, I, I'm not seeing it, especially in light of, it turned out to be an entire book of the Bible. And their answer to me was, well, that whole book of the Bible is just wrong. <laughs> yeah. How inconvenient. Yeah. Well. yeah. And that's, that's a, that's, that's when, um, I had a hard time following that, uh, that argument yeah but but this this goes to to where job is going i think i think though too if we look back and to your point both of you early on you said that you know there's a lot of different theology in this book and the prosperity you know i think it gives us an outline not so much um a heads up to what exactly the world will be like we still deal with that prosperity theology it's still there it's giving you a, a blueprint on you know, the humanistic part of how to deal with it. You know what? These are some of the questions you have to ask yourself when you're you're dealing with that. When you're dealing with that theology, how do you go about, you know, saying, you know, it's not all about that you do do good, you'll you'll get rewarded. But I think it's that humanistic element that we can go back to from the exact very beginning. These are the things that we're going to deal with throughout time. Where you can have calamities, you can look towards your friends, but ultimately it has to be your um, salvation is with God and God alone. Where I think, too, throughout this, every time Job speaks, I tend to see that he's walking that razor's edge mm-hmm. of wanting to blame God, but yet knowing you wouldn't do this to me like this. And that's why the continual yeah. why. Be- yes, because he yeah. can go back and... um as God lives, who has taken away my justice mm-hmm. and the almighty in the very next thing in the, the almighty who has made my soul bitter. Yeah. But wait, as long as I bre- breath is in me and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wicked wickedness. Mm-hmm. He always continues to walk that razor's edge. Yeah. And, and to me, the biggest piece missing, we've, we've touched on this a little bit before the biggest piece missing is there's no acknowledgement of a supernatural evil force Mm -hmm. it's just god and humans and between god and humans why is this deserved and why is this happening right it takes out any other influencing factor in the equation that is fascinating Mm -hmm. i mean that, that that seems to be largely just absent yeah but but with the exception of the beginning of Job and the very beginning of Genesis I think you'll find that almost the entire Old Testament doesn't attribute things to Satan yeah mm-hmm. is it's because God allowed it God allowed it yeah and 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 that's a that's a puzzling thing because it was quite clear here in Job mm-hmm. that there was there are these two opposing forces, this cosmic conflict. That are active. Right, and we see that also in the beginning of Genesis. And then it's almost as if it's just kind of never referenced again until Jesus shows up mm-hmm. and starts throwing out demons. And, and there it's like just overtly, mm-hmm. and here's the demons, and here's the who has a demon. And I mean, it's just Satan shows up in person. And, and, yeah. and in the New Testament, there's just it's really hard to deny that. But here, with the exception of what we see behind the curtain in chapter 1 in Job, this is never spoken of again. Mm -hmm. It is a puzzle. 
I heard another podcast once, and they were talking about the actual language used and where when we use Satan as like a capital S, this is a proper noun thing, um, a lot of the time when you find it in the Old Testament, they would it would actually be more directly translated, the Satan, being that Satan was a concept of evil more than an individual. Um, an individual. Now, obviously, you know, like you just talked about, we've had these two examples where he very clearly is an individual, but um, where where they use the word more often, they're just talking about like the influence. So it just yeah, there's it does a seem person. Like... There's a person behind the influence. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. It just yeah. comes down to the part they you know they omitted him because they didn't want to give him recognition. I think that's it. As, yeah. I, as I spoke to my grandfather about who was. Um, um, uh, Bible teacher and a college Bible teacher and uh, a pastor, and he read Greek and Hebrew. Um, that was his explanation to me: was that there were all these gods floating around in the Old Testament, and it, you know which one was bigger, which one was greater, and God takes the approach: No, I'm the only one. Everything passes through me. This isn't kind of a one-upsmanship kind of a thing. There's only one. There's no hierarchy yeah. of gods. There, that's the point. One, capital G. Right. right. And, <laughs> and everything else is not God. Right. And and you see that pretty well sustained through Israel's apostasy and so on. It's not like, well, let's worship the best God. Yeah. You know, this God's like, mm-hmm. this God's like a, you know, a 10, and the other one's only like an 8, you know, so let's, <laughs> no, it's just there's only one. Yeah. And the other one's are not even gods, so just don't even talk about them as if they are. I see a lot of arguments a lot of times from atheists, and they're like, "Well, which god, which god should I worship?" You know, right? You know, what's what makes yours better than somebody else's? Well, because mine is the god. There's only one, <laughs> and so and yeah, and that seems to be the approach in the Old Testament. Yeah, as as we unpack it, so yeah, I, I found it interesting in twenty eight, um, two through six. This assumption that everybody was just Stone Age man, you know, Flintstone was mm. kind of a thing, <laughs> is that reading this, they seemed, he, Job, and this is, if the chronology is right, is very early in the Bible, seems to really understand um, geology, uh, metallurgy. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff here that's not just banging sticks together. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, my Bible, I have a Bible that has a timeline, best that scholars. Can, uh, can estimate from what was going on, and they place Job in about the year 1520 BC. Mm. Okay, they're, they're, uh, they're doing some, some significant work here. Yeah. Yeah. Smelting and. Right. Yep. Yeah. Cutting so, mine shafts. And, so, also in 20, uh, well, yeah, in 28, there are some questions, and then there's two questions, and then two answers. 12, where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Then in 20, mm-hmm. from where then does wisdom come? And then there's two answers. In 23, God understands the way to it and he knows its place. Then again in 28, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. I love that mm-hmm. verse. So That's kind of a neat poetic question, answer, question, answer. Yeah, my my notes on chapter twenty eight are very short, and that's that verse 
is half of my notes on that chapter because I thought that was just really when I looked at twelve, I was thinking that if you look throughout the Old Testament, memorial stones tend to be largely seen there where you get some kind of divine intervention or wisdom and you set a memorial stone or an altar. It's called an Ebenezer. An yeah. Ebenezer. Here I raise that, my Ebenezer. Exactly. That. Where can it be found? I, I just don't get it everywhere I go. It's not with me all the time. Mm-hmm. I need. Is there a certain place I need to go that I'm going to get this blessing? Because if there is, then maybe I need to get up out of my sackcloth and not out of the dust, and I need to go there. So at this point, like I said, I just feel it's a humanistic part, and he's he's grasping at anything. Tell me what I need to do yeah. to relieve this. Do I need to go somewhere? Somewhere where is it? Is it the pool? Is it the pool of Bethesda? Do I need to go to somewhere like that? Yeah, he does. He seems to. He doesn't agree with his friends that there's some sin necessarily that he's done, but he's still in, he still has this feeling like there's something he needs to do in order to get the answers he's looking for. And that's how I look at, you know, because he goes through all these different um, minerals and, and precious stones and everything else. And to me, this was also opening up the world to say that, you know what, I've been other places. I know of other places. Because he sits there and lists like Ethiopia. Do I need to go there? Yeah. You know, because they mine rubies there and sapphires and gold. And do I need to go there where that stuff is? Mm. Is that where I need to be to get get right? And we think the internet entwined the world. But Mm -hmm. I mean, apparently apparently. they knew about it. It, So it does. I think it goes towards, you know, what Eric was saying. We tend to think that it was a little bit Stone Age there and, you know. Would you would you use Flintstone esque? <laughs> um, but you know, it wasn't. I think it opens up a little bit more where they're traveling routes. Where's their world a little bit bigger than what we thought? Yeah. Chapters twenty nine and onward were like to me kind of a huge discourse on Job's grief of everything that he's lost. I found the very poignant to read. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like he's missing his family. He's missing his success. He's missing the respect and honor that he had in his contemporary society. And I, I found those chapters, that part of his speech. Yeah. And like, who, who is it that makes fun of him now? These people that are making up songs about him now in ridicule would have never dreamed. Like, he was a respected member of society, and now he's a laughingstock. Like, he is... He has lost everything that was of value to a dude in that era. Yeah. I was wondering as I was reading this, do you think that this was just people seeing somebody who had been raised up now fallen the way we kind of do when we see a celebrity go south on us, you know, like, oh, well, you know, he deserved that. Or somehow we get a, we get a perverse pleasure in seeing people who are, can't let a brother get his. Yeah. Or, I wonder, had Job unwittingly been uh, drawing ire from these people and thinking that he was a little better liked, maybe, than he was? Because we see a lot of the people. human thing. I think yeah. you like that. When things are good, I think your chin is raised a little bit. Well, and keep in mind that everybody... Job, Elihu, 
his other three friends, were all convinced that you get honor and you're lifted up in front of everybody else if you do the right things. Yeah. Everybody's thinking this. And so Job feels, it sounds harsh, but it's what it is, self-righteous. He's like, I did all these wonderful things. I, I, should, I shouldn't be suffering these things. And yeah, I think Karen's right that this is, this is his lament about all of the things that he has lost. And honor is one of the biggest ones. That, that he goes to because that's part of him personally. I mean, the wealth comes and goes and, and so on, but he's lamenting this and he may be thinking, you know, I, what have I got if I don't have that? Yeah. When I first read his spiel on honor and who used to think well of him and now, now the people that make fun of him and he wouldn't even hire them to watch his sheep, you know, this kind of thing. At first it came across as so egotistical to mm-hmm. me I was just cringing and I, I kind of like was like no don't put modern society over that go back and reread it try and see it you know try and read it through like where you know society was at what I know of that society and it and it it rang a lot more true and and more sort sort of more like honest suffering in loss than an expression of like look how great I used to be that was, I mean, honor to a man in that society was just foundational. Yeah. Yeah. So 31 mm-hmm. is a very interesting chapter poetically and to some degree theologically. He's he's outlining all of these things that he has integrity. Yeah. Um, in one, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Um, a young woman, and I think he's referring here to just lustfully, and that's um, that. Of course, finds its way into contemporary society with uh, an app that's available, Covenant Eyes, for those who are struggling with pornography, um, and it goes straight here to, to Job. And we we think that oh, this is just a struggle of modern times. You know, no, this these struggles that we have as humans go all the way back. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they have different formats and different forms. Um, but remember, a person of honor back in this day could literally pretty much do anything they wanted to do. So this was personal integrity. Yes. So this wasn't so much like, oh, I could sneak away and look at this on my screen. A person back in this day could do, in real life, kind of whatever they wanted to do. And Job is to said, you know, look, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And as he goes through... Um, in, in verses in 30, chapter 31, verses 5 through 8, this is kind of how I look at the poetry. He's saying, I have integrity towards everyone. In 9 through 12, I have integrity toward marriage. In 13 to 22, I have integrity toward the working and the poor. In 24 to 28, I have integrity towards God, you know, not trusting in riches uh, and not trusting in false gods. 29 to 37, I have integrity toward the public, even in even his enemies. Mm-hmm. It's like I've, I've acted straight towards those. And this is interesting. In 38 to 40, I see him saying he has integrity even towards the land. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I am I'm work to be a, a good steward of, of the planet, so to speak, which which goes a, a little bit also to our 
for contemporary folks. We're the first ones to think about this. We're the <laughs> first ones to think that we're going to honor the earth. Like, yeah, you're you're way back in line there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I read this, I the thought that he was just trying to turn over every single stone still in searching for what did I do wrong? Right. Yeah. You know, so I think he was just trying to go down the list. You know what? I, I haven't done this. I haven't done this. I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm all around. Guys, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm going down the list. Right. Which is not to say, and I think this is worth mentioning, which is not to say that he's wrong in any of these things. Mm. That these things are markers of integrity. They are things that, that godly people would uphold and do. Problem we get into, the problem that Job gets into that Elihu calls him on is saying, um, and I want to get to that stuff because that's some really neat stuff. Is like that doesn't make God owe you. Yeah, like you understand, Job, that that just because you that's all well and good. Right? Yeah, he's like, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) You scored perfect on your ACTs, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't win you a medal with God, and it doesn't give you the right to accuse him of unfairness which is a i struggle with this reading this it's just it's something just seems so unfair about this like yes. if he's been this good mm-hmm. well then why can't but, but there it is that but Job, all of our works are as filthy rags as isaiah yeah. yeah and but that's it's still it's hard because like come on he did so much better than me how come he didn't get the <laughs> well it's interesting you you pulled a lot I'm, I'm glad I have you here because you pulled a lot more out of chapter 31 than I did because my basic note on 31 is job is saying if I've done wrong then I deserve to be punished but he has look you know like you're saying he's going through it and goes okay I've done this I don't think of anything down there. Which is an interesting thing, because again, as we move forward, how we get to these things, is that um, that this idea of grace to those who haven't done all right actually shows up. Mm-hmm. Which, grace is this really, really hard thing to figure out emotionally, because we feel like, well, at some point we deserved it, right? I mean, maybe we got it first. And then because we didn't deserve it, but then but then we but then we behave like we deserve it, and then we get to keep it. And this this whole book just upsets that idea that you do good, you get good always. I mean, there are principles, mm-hmm. obviously. You know, if you if you behave, um, let's just say you color inside the lines. We'll use that as a super general metaphor. Is that you will tend to get ahead. Because of because of principles, but it's not a guarantee that you get ahead or that you stay ahead or that people who are evil get knocked down. Those are not guarantees of that mm-hmm. at all. Because again, I mean, I'm still reading Psalms in a, in a parallel reading, and David sees this plain as day. Like, out oh, the wicked, they thrive, and I'm doing all this great stuff. And hey, but the difference is, and it's very interesting, is that although David asks God, "Where are you? What's going on?" He doesn't accuse God. He doesn't say, well, you're not being very fair, mm-hmm. which is a yeah. subtle but really significant difference. To be fair, he still has his palaces and his wives and his property. and his. Well, no, a lot of these things is when he's running for his life. Oh, true, earlier. Yeah. He's earlier. hiding in a cave. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's all these things where things are serious, or his son is rebelling mm-hmm. and trying to kill him. And mm-hmm. so he has some really serious problems, and he does ask God, 
And he says, hey, you know, why is this going on? And I'm begging you to, to come up. And he, like, like Job said, I'm asking you to speak, you know, like show up in my life. But what David doesn't do is he doesn't accuse God of being unfair. So there's one, one thing that I noticed, and I noticed it in, what am I in, 31, Job's rant about these different aspects of his life. There's a, there's a, there's a pattern of, it's almost like a vow. And I notice, I've noticed it throughout the Old Testament, so we'll see it as we go along through the weeks. But it's like, David is the main one that comes to mind, and David's, the people around David, Jonathan, and Saul, and whatever, you're like, be it unto me, and more so, if I do not, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's like this vow, and if I fail in this vow, then it shall be like this, right? Yeah. And these sort of grand statements. And, it, and I heard a lot of that in chapter 31, an example in uh, verses 21 and 22. If I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from the shoulder and let it be broken off at the joint. See, it's like this kind of like extreme statement of if I fail in this, then you can, you know, unlimited pain, right, mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Yeah. And it's that's kind of a, a a thing that I notice through the Old Testament. There's this kind of like dramatic vow and pro proclamation thing that they do. Yeah. yeah, and there's hasty ones. There's Jephthah's hasty vow. Oof. Oh man. Um, but but when it comes to these vows, I think it would be worth pointing out is that God made provision for people to essentially take it back. I love that. Yeah, it's going to cost them something, literally. So you, you'd want to think twice before you just go say hasty stuff like that. But you might say something, well, if I have ever done blah, 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 then then let it be blah. Like, oh, okay, wait a minute. No, nope, okay, let me take that back. Because <laughs> it'll cost you, but you God provided a way to, to step back acknowledging that you're wrong mm -hmm. but yes there's this kind buy of buy out your honor so it's still yeah, in the, it yeah. still engages your honor but you have to say i did yes. wrong yes i spoke too too fast um job never gets to that point <laughs> um except for later he just says hey i didn't know what i was talking about i'm just gonna be quiet now <laughs> but right now he's on a roll like you say and, and he's quite um and there's a lot of ifs i actually highlighted those all through the chapter and there's a lot of ifs. If I did this, if I did this, if I did this, if I did this. Yeah. But then once again, he ends it by saying, all right, then let the thistles grow instead of the weed and let the weeds grow instead of the barley. It's it's just ending it the same way he always kind of goes. All right, I'm going to give you this piece, but then I'm going to step step back once again on that razor's edge and go, okay, then, then let it happen the way it's happening. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So here comes 32. Yeah. Elihu. And this is, this is um, I think it's important as we look at Elihu that as we that we skip ahead in 42.7. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, and the Lord said to him, Life as the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what's right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant and offer up a burnt offering for myself for yourself yada yada for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant job has so eliphaz the timonite and bildad the shootite and zophar the namethite went and did what the lord told them and the lord accepted job's prayer elihu is not included in this mm. god runs runs through it two times saying you guys and he speaks of those three friends have not spoken to me what is right 
Elihu's name is not mentioned. Well, Elihu's feel goes a lot along what God says in later chapters. It is, and it's hard to read, though. It's hard to read in that it's, again, my sense of fairness. Right, totally. It just seems like, ah, but come on, man. He's done so much good stuff, and then mm. that's, but that's not where it's at. Yeah. That is not where it's at. There's... So I, I noticed mm. right off, Elihu, he's kind of just starts off, and he's he's kind of like, you know, I've been listening <laughs> to all of this, and um, he he's he's appears to be significantly younger than everybody else that's in, involved here. Um, but isn't that one of the pillars of great conversation? Is the first listen, listen? yeah. But he um he shows respect for these guys because they're older than him. But then in verse nine, see, he, he said, um, let me make sure I'm reading it yeah. from the right place. It's I like not, nine. It's not the old who are wise. Great ages who understand what is right. Yeah. Great men are not is, always wise. It is not only the old who are wise. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I think it's, it's important that we go right back to 32, one, uh, and three, because this is the, he starts off with the kernel of his argument. This isn't his, this isn't his poetry, but he says, you know, so these three men cease to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Mm. Job was righteous. Um, but his seeing that he was right, you know, it's like, I'm so good. I'm so good. I'm so good. Well, thinking you're so good is actually not so good. Right. And that's the thing that Job fell into. And in um, two. Two, yeah. It, he was it, it, he burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God, and that's pretty much the the kernel of all that Elihu says. It 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 just comes back to that. It's like Job, you you've set yourself up to be right, but not God. Mm-hmm. You've justified yourself, but not God, in this, and. Again, you usually Tracy a lot of times kind of walk on the razor's edge. He does here too. He doesn't say that what Job has done is wrong. Is it's Job's claim that it's right and God is wrong is what's wrong. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I noticed here about Elihu is he he's noticed that Job and the other guys in their argument they really haven't been talking to each other. They've been throwing, this is my point, well, this is my point, this is my, and need, it doesn't seem at any point that anybody has been listening to each other and really trying to understand what the other guy says. It's always like, when somebody else is talking, you're already starting to think about what I'm going to say. That was like I, a theological argument. I was looking at that, and, and a verse came to mind, and I could not find it, so I was going to bring it to the table and say, you know what, help me out, but it was usually, you know, we've done this thing, but in God I will do a new thing, and that kept echoing with me while I was, he was starting into a saying by saying, you know, you guys have said all this stuff, but it hasn't helped Job. So now I'm going to say a new thing. I'm going to go a different direction. I'm not going to use your words that you've mm-hmm. ta- used with Job already. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do within you a new thing. And he does too. He takes a new, a new angle. Yeah. Where is that? Where is that? And, I, and, it's, <laughs> and it's just that it's, I'm going to do a new thing. Yeah. And I think that's what it takes. And, and, here in this text and it being so old you know one of the first books of the bible 
you know, when we were talking chronologically, he does, he switches gears and says, you know what, let me give you a different twist. Now sit back and listen. Yeah. Because I've been hearing everything you guys have been saying, and it's just not resonating with him at all. Yeah. Yeah. So 33 has some pretty interesting stuff. He, um, 33:14. For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. And he outlines those in 15 in a dream. Yeah. In a vision of the night. And in 19, which is the one we're not so, we're like, give me the dream part. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones. Um, but this is, this speaks to human nature. You know, sometimes we can be guided by some gentle words and wisdom, and sometimes it's the two-by-four way. Yeah. And I've always thrived with the two-by-four. I find myself oblivious to gentler means sometimes. And there are times we all struggle with these things. And I think it's worth balancing that, that sometimes pain comes not because we've done wrong, because Job here again is chosen because he is faithful to God, not because he's done some secret wrong. You've got to keep that straight. Is that we live in a sinful world, yeah. And in Job chapter one, we have the devil. It sounds a lot like the New Testament, right? We have a an enemy, uh, like a roaring lion seeking to devour somebody. So he can devour. Yeah, I mean that's we see that in Job chapter one, and he just hates Job because Job loves God, straight up. Yeah, it's not because Job has done something wrong that the natural. Well, that's just what happens when you do meth, kids. It's it's Job is Job has done right. But he has an enemy that hates him because he's done right. And sometimes that's just what happens in the world. It's not attributable to, well, if you'd just eaten better or yeah. if you hadn't, you know, clicked on that link or whatever it is, <clears throat> mm-hmm. sometimes bad things just happen because we live in a bad world. I remember when Paul McCartney's wife died, people were like, well, look what vegetarianism did for her. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean the two things have anything to do with each other, you know. So far, I'm pretty sure the death rate of One vegetarians and carnivores, yeah, yeah, they're tied at 100. Yeah. It was it was just so, it was like, a woman has died, you guys. I have a little compassion here, but, but the, you know, the idea that, well, didn't do her any good, so, you know. Well, and, and really, that's, that's a problem that Elihu points out here. That Job has said, he said, so you've basically, you've said, Job, like, what good was it for me to do mm-hmm. good? Elihu's like, whoa, 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 watch yourself here, talking like that. Yeah. That's, it's got to be read carefully and slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he calls out some really common human problems. Yeah. The other thing I was pulling there out of 33 was... Elihu talking about how God is constantly working to keep us from falling. You know, Um, I think I had, let's see, where did I go? Yeah, verse 18, where he says, he keeps back his soul from the pit. You know, clearly he's talking about keeping us from just, uh, you know, falling into that degradation. He's constantly working to try to keep us from. I actually like the verse before that as well. Mm -hmm. So there's 17 and 18 to turn them from wrongdoing, to keep them from pride, to preserve them from the pit, and to keep their lives from perishing by the sword. Like that's pretty comprehensive protection there. Mm -hmm. See, but I think he sets a whole preface for this by in 14 by by saying, "For God may speak in one way or in another, Uh yet man does not perceive it." 
Yeah. That's almost, you know, to me, that's telling him, you know what? It's it's so above and beyond your pay grade. Yeah, because he, he's, what he's doing is it's a subtle aside to mm-hmm. Job saying, so you've been saying that God doesn't answer you. Is it possible <laughs> that there are things going on here that you are not aware of? Mm-hmm. And as we see in chapter one, actually, yes, there are some things going on we're not aware of. Reminds me of a Garth Brooks song, Unanswered Prayers. You know, or so annoying. Or I sometimes <laughs> think about, and, and my wife uses this on me all the time when I question things, is don't put a question mark where God's put a period. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just don't need to know right now, and you just need to have faith. Oh, man, but that's that's the hard part. <laughs> exactly, and that's <laughs> that what I tell her. That's is, the hard part. Man, yeah. that's the hard part. And it's because I think it's human nature, once again, where this is all human nature. To me, Job is all human nature. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's the good part of it. I mean, there's there's a lot of that. But, right. but there's a lesson to the good people who struggle and are like, But ah. it's hard because you always want to ask, why? Yeah, and, and not just ask. I want the answer. Yeah, and and you're just not happy with the period. Yeah. You know what? You're going to, you know, and it's it's hard to say, but I, I look at this only because I think it hits a little bit more close to home is you are going to have health issues, period. Yeah. And Where we want to have trouble. Period. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we always want to put the question mark, but why? Can I just get the answer? I feel much better and I can sleep easier tonight. I actually God. Love- just send me the answer, please. Yeah. You could text it to me. You could email it to me. But I need the answer before I can go to sleep. Yeah. And it doesn't always work that way. I think sometimes in the midnight hour, you have to you have to roll around and just and let your faith go. Yeah. And just be faithful and 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 know that God is in control. I, I like that text in the New Testament. Now, Job didn't have the New Testament, obviously, but I really like that text in the New Testament because it doesn't have a period. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus is, is talking, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but do not fear. I have overcome the world. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. So it, it. It's yeah. really interesting because to that point, here in 33, um, 23 and 24, he drops some really interesting words. If there be for him an angel, a mediator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, whoa, where have we seen that word before? One of thousands to declare to man what is right for him. And if he is merciful to him, because mercy isn't just straight up justice and karma, mm-hmm. to deliver him, going down to the, I have found a ransom. Yeah. So all of these, these very New Testament kind of things, he's, he's slipping in these words that shouldn't be missed. Yeah. But then in, in 20, 26, then man prays to God and he accepts him. And, and it's because of mercy that he's doing this, not because of, and you did this, and you did this, and you didn't do that, and that, and that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how he drops these little things. In you know, there. I always go back to, um, there's a... Uh, a pastor in California, Ivor Myers, that has uh, called the the Bible and gone through almost every chapter and called it the blueprint that kind of gives you salvation in every 
every um, book of the Bible, how it points back to God, how, you know, you can pick out and see different things here. And that's what I saw in, in reading that, is that, you know what, there is the ransom, there is the, the intermediary, there is, you know, and it all points back to, to Jesus and what he's willing to, and what he's going to do for us or is doing for us. I just, I just want to read this. I think these few verses in a row in chapter 33 are kind of like the encapsulation of everything that Elihu says, and I just think they're really cool. So starting in verse 8, he says, You have said in my hearing, I heard the very words, I am pure, I have done no wrong, I am clean and free from sin. Yet God has found fault with me, he considers me his enemy, he fastens my feet in shackles, he keeps close watch on all my paths. But I tell you, in this you are not right, for God is greater than any mortal. Why do you complain to him that he responds to no one's words? For God does speak, now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. And then he proceeds to list the different ways that God speaks. That's such a reality check. Yes, okay, we're down here, we're immersed in our experience, and we're waiting for God to speak our language. He's speaking his language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an underlying assumption here in 9. You say, I am pure without transgression. There's no iniquity in me. Mm-hmm. Man, from, from reading the Bible here and, and understanding how much higher God's ways are, it's just even if you don't, you know, don't do all the ifs earlier, it doesn't attain to God. That's a pretty bold... You know, a lot of these statements are making me wonder if, bear with me here a second, if Satan wasn't a little bit right about um, of course he worships Job's, you. <laughs> about Job's attitude, you know, where if Job had been just left to his own devices, if he might have grown prideful over time, it seems to me he was maybe a little prideful anyway. Um and so maybe God said, hey, what about Job? Thinking in the background, Job needs a little correction here. You know, and so we're going to go ahead and uh, I'm going I'm to make Satan think he's doing something. <laughs> One of the things that I think is incredibly cool about God is that he's able to reach people within the confines, and they are confines, of each generation's like trends of thought. Like the society that they're raised in, sort of they absorb this way of thinking and then based on that way of thinking there's these assumptions about what what are right what is right and wrong and then how I feel in reaction to the things that happen around me are based on those assumptions right and God can be God to every generation so to me as I read this I see that I see Job as a very strong product of his generation and society mm-hmm. is that a failing well okay sure we all have it, though. In the every, big picture, every, yeah. In every generation, in every society, yeah. Every generation of every society has had that, and God can reach everybody past that. And he's not offended by it. He understands it better than we do. I think that's why Job stands, the book of Job stands the test of time when you look at it, because pride is one thing that just never goes away. It's, you know, it's the same as it was in Job's time as it is now. You do. I could see Matt's point where you were saying a little bit about you know, did he get a little prideful? Was there a little bit of self-righteousness to, you know, where he he was status-wise? Yes, because his entire life sustained it. But do we 
is that still the same now? Well, sure. Mm -hmm. So to the question, did he seem a little prideful? That's been a struggle with me because many, 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 many times I've read the book of Job and I've come away with, yeah, Job's right. What's up with God here? Mm. Because I never really read Elihu very carefully yeah. to point this out. So if Elihu is correct here in 35, um, in 35.2, do you think this to be just? Do you say, it is my right before God that you ask, what advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? <laughs> wow. I mean, he's, he's saying, so Job, that's your, that's your attitude. That's, that's how you're going to roll with this. And in six and seven. But you skipped over four. Because I was looking at four, and exactly to what you were saying, I will answer you, and your companions with you. Yeah. So he's he's gonna say, let me let me teach you something. All of you. <laughs> I'm what's playing. <laughs> and so in in six and seven, it's very interesting. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him that is God? Mm -hmm. And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? And then the counter, he's like, let's turn the coin over here. And if you're righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? He's, he's saying, you know, and he echoes it in 80, he's like, so if you've been super bad, that brings God down? You, you think that takes him down a notch? Right. Or if you're super awesome, is that some kind of amazing thing to him? He's like, oh, I needed that, Job. He's yeah. like, no, God is not impressed. He, you, you, don't, you don't move him. Right. Whether you're personally, whether you're really bad or whether you're really, really, really good, he's not impressed. Yeah. In that way. And man, that that um, he's he's unpacking it right there for everybody, like you say, Tracy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet, back in chapter one, God uses Job as a bragging point. Satan's like, Yeah, the earth is mine. And God's like, mm, I mean, kind of. Have you considered my servant Job? He lives on your earth. Mm -hmm. And he's still loyal to me. It is, it, is a, it is a factual thing. But I think it's it's a different thing to say, yeah, look, look, there's an exception to what you've said, Satan. Yeah. And God being like, oh, I needed that. Like, that was. Right. No. That was, that was like, you know what, Job, you're, you're, you're right, man. It's, you feel like you're at a carnival. You know, you've got the little thing where you hit the, hit the uh, platform and you send the weight up and try to ring a bell. Mm -hmm. And God, it would be like God saying, good swing, Job, ding. Oh, you did it. Mm -hmm. It's like you have no idea how high that bell is. And you will never hit it hard enough to ring the bell. Let's just get that straight right now. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what I see Elihu saying, which isn't to say that Job's doing good and so on was a bad thing. It's just Elihu saying, that doesn't earn you set of points with God. Like Tracy said earlier, all our all our righteousness mm -hmm. is as filthy rags. This is the Old Testament version of it. Yeah. But you know, I, I look at it in God knowing the beginning from the end. Have you considered Job? Because I'm going to use this as an example to humans throughout throughout the ages now that all your friends are going to give you this area to look at. But you're going to have that one friend that's going to bring you back home mm -hmm. and tell you exactly this and give you the rounded points that can be used throughout time to justify me yeah. and to bring light and glory to me and give you a little bit of 
of the behind the scenes kind of look of what goes on and how it's all going to play out. I still win. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if when God said, "Have you considered Job?" if it didn't, it would, if it wasn't a bit of a double meaning there, because oh. you know Satan's like, "Well, I've been all over the place," and then and God's like, "Well, have you thought about Job?" Because on the one hand, okay, Job might have a little more claim to the earth than you do, but on the other hand, God is also maybe saying, "Have you really paid any attention to Job?" And have you uh, what's ah. I'm going to mess up what I'm trying to say here. It's going to—it's almost as if Job needed to be put through this test to me, you know. Um, well, maybe for our sake. For our right. sake, but maybe for Job's sake. Could be. Could maybe be. for Job's sake. And so when God's saying, have you considered Job? It's like, hey, what kind of, you know, what kind of uh, attention have you paid to Job here? May, Let's, may uh, I never need to be tested. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like maybe maybe Job actually needed to be tested. Maybe, you know, and, and that's a question that we don't we don't know. get the direct answer to. We don't know. But in thirty six, fifteen, uh, he delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. Reminds me of Romans. You know, in all things, God can work for the good right. of those who serve yeah. Him. And I think too, we just we tend to look at Job and just look at the the vastness of his calamities. You know, but I think. Because Karen just said it, please don't let me be tested. But I think we all are tested each and every day. And people around us are looking at how we respond to those tests. Not at this level. But but not exactly. <laughs> yeah. The vastness of Job's calamity we get caught up in. But yet we have our own trials and tribulations every single day. And yet all those tests end up being our testimony to somebody else. How you responded even to... You know, as, as as small as somebody cutting you off, you know, driving down the road, you know, how is your response to them going to be? But is that other car on the other side looking at you? So I think, in essence, we all are tested, but not to this, this level. I think we get caught up in Job's level of being tested in everything he loses, where, you know, health issues, family issues, those struggles day to day are all of our tests. Well, we're coming up on our time. Does anybody have any final things? Maybe in chapter 37, we've got a little, about a minute left here. Or I guess it's our podcast. We can do what we want. But. Well, he, 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 Eli, who goes into things that we're going to hear later uh, in five, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does yeah. great things that we cannot comprehend. He foreshadows what's going to happen mm-hmm. in 13, whether for correction or for his land or for love. He causes it to happen. He's like, the, the things that God wants to happen, they're going to happen for his own reasons, and he's got lots of them. Right. And he, Elihu sums it up in 37, 24. Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. Mm. I'm interested what some of the other... Um, what was the verse? It's uh, 37, no. 24. Last, mm-hmm. one. Last one. New King James is he shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. Okay, so New International ver- uh, Version. For he does not re- he does not have regard for all the wise. Okay, I can't talk. I'm going to start over. Therefore, people revere him. For does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? The question. Uh, New Living Translation, no wonder people everywhere fear him, 
all who are wise show him reverence as a statement. And, and then, then I always, um, always go back to the wisdom. Wisdom is the fear of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, Matt read the New King James, but then the message is, so bow, bow to him in deep reverence, one and all. If you're wise, you'll most certainly worship him. Interesting, because the ESV takes a different take. Um, Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. Is that, um, and I think that that's his point to, to Job. It's like he's 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 calling Job out, essentially saying, "So you're saying because God didn't answer you when you asked him that God's wrong." Yeah. Your, your assumption is you get to call him and say, "Now explain yourself." <laughs> You know, it reminds me of when I was a kid watching the Lucy. I was like, Lucy, you got some splaining to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Job's like, Eli was saying, so you called Job, God to say, explain yourself. And because God didn't just show up and explain himself, you're right and he's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a humbling statement because um, we, we do want the answers like we Weird. talked about. Yeah. All so right. to all our podcast audience, are we going to extend our time and continue on with this? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we got about three. It's more one of those hours. podcasts that you look and it's well, it's usually like one hour. Why is this one ninety minutes? No, <laughs> feeling for bus today. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, that would be a good place to stop there at the end of thirty-seven. And next time, um, God speaks up, and Yay. that's bound to be uh, an interesting and maybe I don't know, maybe a little man. That would be terrifying. But, uh, the we, last few chapters of the book of Job and the book of James are my favorite passages of the whole Bible. Okay. I'm excited for next week. Are we going to finish? It's going to be the Karen show. Yeah, we will finish Job next week. Isaiah 42.9, a new thing. I've created yeah. you, a new thing. Oh, cool. And in 40, Isaiah throws out the new thing quite a bit. All right. Well, we look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks for listening.